So, welcome and good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Dirk Didaskalou, and it's a real honor for me to be here with you at reInvent 2017. Today, I would like to give you the latest updates on AWS IoT. And whenever we start a conversation with our customers around IoT, we typically started with one simple question. If you knew the state of everything, and if you could reason on top of that knowledge, what problems would you solve? And we at AWS IoT, we made it our mission to make these two highlighted conditions, namely knowing the state of everything, of all of your assets, and being able to reason on top of that knowledge, come true for our customers so they can focus on solving their business problems. For example, like Enel, the energy company, who's building on top of AWS for their IoT platform and energy management. Enel is building Greengrass-enabled smart gateways for the home or professional gateways for the power production sites. And with Greengrass, they'll be able to process and act on large amounts of data locally generated in sub-milliseconds latency. Or Symantec, who launched their Norton Core Home Router, which is an award-winning router known for its security, based in the backend on AWS IoT. They not only protect your home from outside attacks, but also from attacks from the inside. Or Rio Tinto, the mining company, who used AWS and Greengrass on their mining trucks going down the boron mine. They used um, measurements of vibration on their trucks to bring up heat maps of road roughness so that they could reroute their assets to minimize wear and tear, which saves them millions. And the increase of use cases and the associated diversity and sheer number of devices is just mind-blowing. And there are so many devices now which generate a significant amount of data. And the smaller and more constrained these devices are, the more they actually benefit from the elastic resources of the cloud. And this is because device data gets so much more valuable if you combine it with other data, if you augment it with additional data, specifically if you use the information extracted to take intelligent actions. And we always joke with our customers that the abbreviation IoT then, or the concept behind should stand the I for the intelligence you gain via orchestration of the cloud for all of your things and assets and the data they generate. And we now work with our customers for them to gain this intelligence and we'll find all sorts of ways how the cloud can make this easier. So how do we do that? And in order to have a look, let's look a little bit more at the real architecture of IoT deployments. So two years ago, we launched a suite of services we call IoT Core, which helped our customers to do certain specific sets of things. First of all, it allows our customers to securely connect their devices to the AWS cloud and also amongst each other with the functionality we call the device gateway. It enables them to route, process, and act on the data and messages coming from those devices with functionality called our message broker and our rules engine. We also enable then our customers' applications to interact with their devices, even if they're offline, with functionality like the device shadow. And last but not least, all of that integrates with the rest of AWS services for more sophisticated analysis on top of your data like EMR or even Amazon Machine Learning. Then last year, we set out to bring 
capabilities of processing and acting on the data close to where it's generated. And we wanted to do it in the very same and simple way that AWS IoT does in the cloud. And last year at reInvent, we launched our software and service package called Greengrass. Greengrass can be installed on your local devices, and it allows you to act locally by the help of Lambda functions. It can route local messages so that when in your factory and you don't have internet connectivity, your local message routing in service network still works. And whenever internet connectivity is reestablished, it automatically sends data and device state with the AWS IoT cloud. And most importantly for us, it does so very securely with the exact same security postures that we introduced with AWS IoT because Greengrass also acts as a local certificate authority. So you could say that AWS IoT Core and Greengrass built the backbone for our customers' IoT implementations in AWS. But what we learned with our customers when they start going from hundreds of thousands to millions or even tens of millions devices, that there's additional questions they have to answer. For example, how can I manage really large fleets of tens of millions or potentially even hundreds of millions of devices? How can I keep those fleets secure? And most importantly, because the real thing what you want is get the insights out of that, how can I easily act and analyze data coming from those devices? So let's walk me through step by step through these questions, starting with device management and fleet management. Customers like Philips, they have millions of devices out there ranging from MRI machines in hospitals via television sets or connected toothbrushes. Or Trimble, which works in multiple verticals from automotive and logistics, um, agriculture, and also construction with millions of devices. If their engineers have to onboard every single device one by one, it's a tremendous task. And once you onboarded all of that devices, how can you organize this? How can you find certain type of devices? Think about if you were a building operator, maybe here in Las Vegas, and you said, hey, let's find all HVAC units and all of the hotels coming from a certain manufacturer with a certain firmware version running at a certain speed and having elevated temperature because the manufacturer just told you they might be about to fail. How do you find them? And then most importantly, once you found them, how can you update them in order to ensure that the climate control still works in the hotels? So welcome to AWS IoT Device Management, a service which just exactly that. It helps you maintain your fleet health. And how it does that is with a functionality called batch fleet provisioning. So you can now um, onboard devices at really large scales from hundred thousands to even million devices in minutes. It also has something what we call a real-time fleet index. It's indexing on metadata of devices. For example, again, manufacturer, firmware version, even the certificates that you put on the different devices. But it also indexes on the volatile state information of devices like its current temperature and its current RPM so that you can then query your fleets of devices to answer questions like the before mentioned building management question that you had. Then it's able to monitor those devices at fleet level, group level, or individual device level with metrics about connectivity, telemetry, all your metadata on the registry or your state information that you have in the device shadow. And then last but not least, then you would like to remotely manage your devices. And that's the job functionality that we have at AWS IoT Device Management so that can remotely reboot them, put new parameters, or even schedule over-the-air updates. So AWS IoT Device Management, managing your fleets and your fleet health, 
And if you want to learn more and get started, go to aws.amazon.com slash IoT dash device dash management. And I'm very happy to welcome now on the stage Prakash from Trimble, who's one of our launch partners and first customers using AWS IoT device management. Welcome, Prakash. Thanks, Dirk. Thank you. Good afternoon. Um, for the next five minutes, I'm going to quickly give you a tour of what Trimble is about and also how Trimble is partnering with AWS and AWS IoT. Um, again, uh, if you have not heard of Trimble, it's the same company that used to be called Trimble Navigation. Um, let me just briefly describe that. Um, Trimble is, um, provide integrated solution to some of the largest industrial companies in the world. Um, we have uh, about 38 different verticals, like Dirk talked about some of them, um, spread over 100 countries, uh, 1,200 patents. It's a, it's a truly a technology company that, that provides IoT solutions to industrial, um, large industrial enterprises. Uh, if you look at the, the financials on the side of it, it speaks for itself. Uh, just the last uh, 10 years, Kager, uh, a, a very sound, uh, financially sound company, um, again, um, with uh, diverse go-to-market strategies, more than 10,000 employees. That number is probably slightly outdated. Uh, so that's what Trimble is all about. Um, and now I will just take you through a couple of use cases of how Trimble is relevant to the IoT space. So um, what I didn't tell you in the previous slide, our market focus primarily in four sectors among those 38 different industries that I talked about. Those are uh, construction, uh, that is both building as well as horizontal construction, um, resources and utilities, mainly agriculture and related uh, industries, uh, transportation and logistics, and also geospatial. So here is one of the examples of uh, a farm, and you'll be really surprised to, 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 if, you, if, you, if you ever went to a farm how many sensors they have. Um, sensors uh, to, to uh, sense the moisture in the field, um, the, the weather sensors, sensors from the drones, sensors on the equipment. So all of these sensors actually send data and what we provide there is a cloud orchestration application where the sensors send the, uh, the sensor data, uh, we, we process that data, we analyze the data, and then we provide insight and information to various stakeholders, whether that is the farmer, whether that is the agronomist, or whoever else is interested in the, in the farming data. So that's one of the examples where Trimble has a very powerful solution uh, that, that provides agriculture um, insights. The next one is construction. So uh, in construction, again, it's a continuum starting with surveying to design both architectural and civil engineering. Machine controls that operate in the field, there are thousands of sensors that go into those. Uh, we have two joint ventures with Caterpillar in this area, one making the sensors and the machine control, other is a IoT software solution that basically collects, very similar to the Act Solution, all of that sensor data, make sense out of that, and then uh, monitor uh, the equipments, um, monitor the project site progress, and again, giving insight into all those aspects of um, the, um, the construction. And one of those solutions, uh, Vision Link, uh, manages hundreds and thousands of uh, these equipments on the field. Uh, again, continuing that continuum, 
in the process of actual building the construction, um, whether that's a, a building structure or a tunnel or road, uh, in, and, and providing various sensors and technologies in that process, all the way through managing the, the structure once it is built and doing analytics, and then, of course, continuing that cycle. Again, we have Trimble Connect acting like a cloud orchestration collaboration platform uh, where we collect all of that sensor data and, again, um, provide solutions to automate and transform uh, our customers' business. So with those two examples, how do we partner with AWS? So we, as a um, pr solution provider to our uh, customers and our partners, we want to focus on what we are good at, uh, on the domains that we are good at, uh, transforming the way people work in those uh, fields, um, improving their workflows, whereas AWS IoT allows us to manage those devices, provision those devices, making them secure, and also organizing them in groups. Uh, so we are using various aspects of the AWS infrastructure as well as the AWS IoT to basically manage all of those complex um, um, sort of you know, non-core, our non-core aspects of providing these solutions. Uh, so in, in many ways, what we would like to do is we want to focus on what we are good at and make use of the AWS and AWS IoT services to improve those solutions. Uh, if I can close it by putting it in a slightly profound way, if you uh, listen to the couple of uh, slides that I presented before, uh, Trimble is in the space of providing uh, uh, solutions to industries that um, contribute to at least two of the three essential elements of human survival, food and shelter. And the way I see it, AWS IoT actually provides the oxygen to keep those solutions running. Uh, and evolve them and, and, and keep us improve uh, in ma making more powerful, transforming, uh, transformational and, and cool solutions. That's it. Thank you. Thank you, Prakash. So we were talking about which problems would you solve? Food and shelter. Very important problems for all of us, I believe. So now that you can maintain the fleet health, onboard all of your devices, how do you keep your fleet secure? And I hope it's not a surprise when it's I tell you... It's 2 o'clock. Okay. So IoT, it's 2 o'clock. Okay, good. I, I, I was afraid stand is staying ill. Okay, so how do you keep your fleet secure is another question. And again, I wanted to tell you is, I hope it's not a surprise that we take an AWS security pretty seriously. Especially when you join AWS, the first thing that you'll learn is there is two number one, or we call this even number zero priorities, it's security and operational excellence. And you could argue operational excellence, that's something what we did with AWS IoT device management, but security was already built in in the AWS IoT core services. I mean, in order to participate as a device, you needed to be able to mutually authenticate yourself with the service. So we had certificate handling, we have policies for the rights, we securely connect your devices to the cloud, and we also do the encryption. However, if you can do this as a single device level, it's much more complex to do that really at the fleet level and make sure that all of your security best practices are always respected because you might have a big workforce all over the world and then devices get onboarded and are they always following the right policies? So ideally, you would like to have a way to audit your security best practices. Ideally, what you always would like to have is, is there a way to identify something like is suspicious behavior of any of the devices? Maybe a device talking to an endpoint it's not supposed to talk to. 
And then, of course, you would love to get alerted on that so that you might figure out, is there something wrong in my fleet? And then last but not least, of course, the basic idea of this is that you can take imminent action, mitigate any problems to keep your fleet secure. And we looked at that, and that's exactly what we're going to um, support with our new service called Abelius IoT Device Defender, a service that keeps your fleet secure. And it starts with the aforementioned auditing of security best practices. It does this on a continuous basis. To give you a few examples, I already talked about the idea that ideally all of the devices have their own certificates that you can uniquely identify them. And if something else happens, um, because you had an engineer who's by accident using an existing certificate that you get the warning. And then it is monitoring device behavior. And first, Device Defender allows you to define what is expected device behavior, like open ports on a device, or endpoints a device can talk to, or standard uh, messaging patterns. So when, for example, a device is talking to an unknown IP address, or has a spike in outgoing pattern of traffic, which might indicate it's participating in a DDoS attack, then ideally that gets identified and identified as an anomaly. And then you get alert on that, and since AWS IoT Device Defender is fully integrating with AWS IoT Device Management, then you can take corrective actions, like shutting down a device, rebooting it, or updating its firmware, or just revoking its permissions via change in policy. And AWS IoT Device Defender is coming in the first half of 2018. If you'd like to learn more and sign up, please go to aws.amazon.com slash IoT dash device dash defender. So now I've introduced two services which help you maintaining your fleet health and keeping them secure. But the most important question you could argue once you have your IoT fleets out is how can I act quickly on device data? And AWS IoT is a great service to ingest a lot of data to the AWS cloud. However, the AWS or the IoT data coming from devices is not the structured data which you normally would feed into existing analytics application for business intelligence. And the reason is pretty simple. It's real-life data coming from machines, coming from physical objects. You might have a sensor on a machine which is rotating, EMC problematics, and then you might have intermittent um, connectivity or false readings, or it goes via gateways or cellular connectivity that might you lose. So it's actually very common that your IoT data is pretty noisy. So it contains false readings, outliers, and sometimes just simple gaps. So before you can use the data in any analytics processing, you have to do some pre-processing. You have to filter it. You have to make sure that some outliers are removed. And as I said before in the introduction, the reason why you would like to have the data in the cloud is because you would like to enrich it. Let's go back to one of the examples that Prakash just said in the agriculture. If you have these sensors in your fields which sense humidity, um, ideally you're not going to water the field if it's going to rain in the next one or two hours. So you would love to enrich your data with weather data and weather forecast. So you need to enrich it. And then there's always the problem, how do I store the data? Because depending on how you store your data, some analytics it's easier to perform, others it's much more difficult. And specifically in IoT day, we talk about time series. So ideally, you store it in a way that you can have queries which are optimized for time series data. And only then, and only then, you're able to get your queries and insights out of the data. So when we looked at that, a lot of our customers said, hmm, if we had to build all of this, it's pretty difficult. So could AWS, could you help us if building such a service? 
and looking at all of the different steps. Everybody who wants to do AWS IoT analytics uh, parting on top of that has to do six essential steps. First, you have to ingest data, then you have to pre-process it, then you have to enrich it, then you have to store it. Only then comes the intelligence and the analytics, and then you visualize it. And that's what AWS IoT analytics does for you as a managed service. It starts with the ingestion. So you can set up um, the source of the data where it comes from via so-called channels, where you identify an S3 bucket where you have already pre-stored data, kinesis for ingesting stream data, and naturally AWS IoT. And then we also put onto that data timestamps or when the data was generated, device ID, and then all of these streams go into what we call a, a pipeline. And in the pipeline, you can then identify the different pre-processing and enrichment steps. You can do transformation, like from Celsius to Fahrenheit. You can have your outlier smoothing. And you can put the enrichment on top of the data, like the aforementioned weather, or any other data source you want, either via the rules engine or via AWS Lambda functions. Then we push the data into a fully managed data store for you. We just optimize for time series, but we also store your raw data. And that's one of the learnings we have with our customers that very often, you don't even know what you're looking for in your data. And you do certain pre-processing steps. And after more intelligence in the analysis and learning in the company yourself, then you figured out, OK, maybe I want to reprocess my data. So it's actually very important that you also store your raw data. Then we also have an integrated query engine, which is optimized on top of the storage, that you can have very fast um, queries in the SQL language to get your standard business insights. And we visualize this easy for you with full integration into Amazon QuickSight for dashboarding and graphs. But if you want to do some more sophisticated analytics, then typically it's the realm of data scientists. And AWS IoT Analytics also fully integrates with notebooks, Jupyter Notebooks, which are hosted with Amazon SageMaker, where you can have much more complex analysis. So going into the inferencing space, understanding device behavior, potential um, predictive maintenance, or time series analysis. And therefore, AWS IoT Analytics is actually predestined as a pipelining processing for cleaning your data before you do much more sophisticated machine learning with Amazon SageMaker. So that's what IoT Analytics does for you. Um, helping to get the insights out of your data. Preview is available today. If you want to learn more and sign up, go to aws.amazon.com slash IoT-analytics. And now please welcome Kim Mo from Valmet, the Finnish company, um, on stage. And he will tell you what Valmet is doing and, and helping solving their problems and their customer problems with this technology. Welcome, Kim Mo. Thank you, Jack. So, my name is Kim Rypsevakka. I'm coming from Valmet, a Finnish company, as Dirk mentioned. And most of you don't know what Valmet is doing, but you know our customers' products. So, we are producing machinery for making paper. And uh, so, just think how many times you have used paper already today. So, Valmet has been in business already for 220 years. And as you can see from these numbers, in our own business area, we are often number one or number two. So you know what paper means. What board means here is basically packaging material. And our friend Amazon has helped us a lot by creating these online stores 
when more and more things get packed and shipped and so on, so our customers are happy making more boards. We are happy making machines for them. And then this you, maybe you know, but basically it means toilet paper. And, and, and consumption of toilet paper is rapidly growing up. So very good future for Valmet. Um, what is unusual with Valmet comparing with our competitors is that we are providing both the machinery for making the paper. We are providing automation for making those machines to run smoothly. And we are providing services for helping our customers to utilize this no, sorry, to utilize this factory or paper mills effectively with our or our competitors automation. And by providing this, this all these three parts of the triangle, we have learned a lot of processes of making paper. So we have been making automation solutions already for about 40, almost 50 years, and we have learned a lot. But, but basically, automation solution is an industrial internet solution on, on site level. But of course, when we are providing these systems for about 300, 400 customers around the world, so we are also a global company, but the solutions often are kind of solved on, on, on a site level. So, so many of the solutions which we have built for one customer are not necessarily taken to other customers, and there is where we need this industrial internet. So basically, in IoT terms, we have very intelligent edge, but we are lacking the center or the brains in the cloud. But then we found our new friend, AWS, and they helped us to build this, our industrial internet solutions. So current solutions include this data visualization. So, so data visualization in our terms means that customers can go to our cloud services and look at how well their machinery is producing paper, kind of how efficiently, like for example, how much energy they are utilizing per produced ton of paper, and compare their results with anonymized results of their com competitors. Another service which we have is this asset reliability customization, optimization. So with that, they can ensure that their machinery basically is in good condition until the next service break. Then operations performance optimization, it helps our customers and helps basically us to help our customers to improve the performance of the whole paper mill. And then finally, the Valmet Performance Center. It's a place where we are keeping our best experts, helping the customers to solve their problems. And by having these both remote connections to the sites, but also having now the data in the cloud and being able to compare that, that data with, uh, with other paper production lines, they are help, able to do their work even better than before. So in this picture, you can see kind of our typical IoT device. It can be about half a kilometer or 500 meters long. It's about 30 meters kind of broad. 
and it can produce paper with 100 kilometers per hour, so about 60 miles per hour. And for, for this, our IoT analytics proof of concept case, we selected to uh, try to analyze the paper strength, predict the paper strength of, of the paper in production. So how did we do this? We already beforehand had kind of, um, with traditional uh, analyzing tools, we have calculated the kind of diff developed different algor algorithms for estimating the paper strength based on the different kind of production values. We are collecting for automation solutions, we are collecting about 25,000 measurement points, some of them with the millisecond level, but most of them with the second, one second measurement per, one, one measurement per second. And um, so now we have already these calculations on, in pre predictions. We can see here on, on this bottom of the slide, we can see that those, those red ones are predicted and the blue ones are measured values of, of this paper string, and we, you can see that already current algorithms are, are quite good. But with this AWS IoT analytics, we hope to make those analytics even better. So we have three use cases for this AWS IoT analytics in this case. One is this just in real time predicted um, paper strength based on this algorithm. Second one is to compare these results based on the laboratory results with the predicted algorithms and produce this kind of lines or trends. And the third one, the most important one or most interesting one, is then to study how we can utilize these different um, tools of IoT analytics for producing even better algorithms. And then, of course, we are very interested of learning how many machines and how many predictions we can run simultaneously in, in, the, in the cloud of AWS. So, thank you, Doug. Wow. Food, shelter, toilet paper, everything that you really need. So saying is IoT is really going pervasive everywhere. And I mean, that's most likely the biggest machine on Earth. So when you think about IoT, it's not only light bulbs, it's massive machinery. Um, and Kimon talked about this very often. I mean, he talked about 25,000 sensors on that machine. So there is a definite need also for processing out of data at the source where it's generated. And that's exactly what we set out last year when we went into AWS Greengrass and asked ourselves the question, which come in really from our customers, how can we extend the capabilities from AWS IoT Core to the edge? And that's when we launched Greengrass. And just a quick summary, I said this before, local actions, Lambda, local message routing, sync and uh, data and uh, state sync, and of course, in the very same secure way that we did it in AWS IoT for the cloud. And I'm very happy to announce three fundamental additional features which we add today to Greengrass. Over the updates, protocol adapters for OPC UA and local resource access. Over the air updates. I don't want you to take this wrong. You were always able to change the behavior 
of the devices locally via sending just a new Lambda function. That was the entire idea of Greengrass. So send a message, change the line of code, different behavior. What you can now do is you can update the Greengrass core um, itself. So that's the runtime environment. And of course, we use under the hoods then device management, AWS IoT device management. You can schedule a job. So if um, Technicolor now is putting more and more of Greengrass cores on the routers and the home, then of course they can update Greengrass cores so to benefit from new advancements there. Then customers like um, Sony or Rio Tinto came back and said, it's all fine, but we have so many existing installations in the field, and how can Greengrass help with interacting with existing installations? And one of the most commonly used protocols in industrial is OPC UA. So now we listened to them, and of course now we implemented OPC UA as a Lambda function for you, which is fully accessible, so that you can immediately use Greengrass also in existing implementations. And then there's also the local resource access feature for Lambda functions locally on the device. What does this mean? If you're a developer in the Lambda function, it's as simple and as easy as slash dev slash resource, whatever the resource is, to get access directly from local resources, from hardware resources like hardware acceleration on a chip, like bus access, or even just sensors like a camera that you might have locally as well as logical resource access like file system or any other type of storage. And taking benefit of this, we are also proud to announce today the so-called local machine learning inferencing feature with taking benefit of these aforementioned local resource access. So what's the basic idea here? I mean, if you have been in the keynote from Andy Jesse this morning, he was talking a lot about AI. And of course, a lot of AI needs to happen in the cloud because first of all, you have to train your models. In order to train your models, you need a lot of data. And the data very often comes from IoT devices. And the cloud is predestined for this because of its big storage capabilities and compute power. But once you train the model itself using this very same model and applying it to new data for doing an inferencing, needs much less compute power. So the basic idea is, could I train my model in the cloud using Amazon SageMaker? And then could I just deploy that very same model on a Greengrass core device? And that's what AWS Greengrass ML inferencing feature does. You just have to go to the console, and you can deploy the trained model to the Greengrass core device. And we also optimized an MXNet framework for NVIDIA and Intel hardware, because of course, ideally, you want to have it as concise as possible. And it comes with a Lambda function, which loads your MXNet, which infers then additional information, which comes from a local resource, which can be a camera. And then it also uses the prediction to do some local actions. And all of that taking benefit of the FPGA or GPU acceleration on the NVIDIA on the Intel platform. So all of the features, over-the-air updates, OPC UA protocol translation, ML inferencing, and protocol adapter, uh, sorry, local resource access are available today. The first three general available, the last in preview. And if you would like to learn more about them and try them out immediately, please go to aws.amazon.com slash greengrass. And now it's my pleasure to welcome Narisaku-san from Denso on stage, who will tell us how Denso will use and is using AWS IoT and Greengrass for their applications. Narisaku-san. Thank you, Doug. Hello. My name is Narisaku from Denso. Denso was founded in 1949 as Pan Art from Toyota. Now our revenue achieved over 40 billion US dollars. 
we rank the second largest automotive parts supplier in the world. We provide various parts and in-vehicle software to most of the major car manufacturers like Toyota, Honda, GM, Ford, BMW, Hyundai, and so on. And now we are developing next generation of mobility solutions. This slide shows our vision in future mobility era called MARS, M-A-A-S. You might imagine middleware as a services or metal server as a services, but it is mobility as a services. Now, mobility is interconnected like this ride, not only car, but also train, bus, traffic signal and signs, and people. Through those interconnections, the mobility data is uploaded to the cloud, stored the cloud, processed in the cloud, analyzed as a big data as a cloud, generating new insight, various new customer value, and then feedback to the cloud or a traffic signal or a bus or something like that. This connected technology brings us new experience for transportation and logistics. More convenient, more comfortable, more safety, more efficient. Remote maintenance, failure prediction, traffic prediction to avoid traffic jam, and autonomous driving functionality. MARS also provides the integration of various services into a single one single on-demand mobility services. By user requirement, MARS automatically arrange end-to-end -end transportation, combining the, uh, car rent, taxi, bicycle, bicycle sharing, uh, airport, uh, air, flight, train, something like that. Booking robot taxi from here to airport, booking flight from uh, Las Vegas to Seattle, booking, booking bike sharing from airport to the Amazon office. In case flight delayed, all of booking are rearranged automatically. Also, payment also be, will be done automatically. In order to realize math, there are three technical challenges. One, Network. Since vehicle move under various radio wave conditions, like in the tunnel, desert, outback, there is no guarantee for good network connectivity. Second one is the real-time processing. Safety should be a top priority for the mobility. Sometimes network latency could become serious safety issues since it requires a real-time response, such as an automatic, automated driving system. Third one, software updates. Not only for adding new functions or changing the future of a vehicle software, but also the serious bug fix for the vehicle software, continuous software update is mandatory. I believe that AWS Cloud can support a realized mobility as a services because its global footprint advanced technology must be scalable. In addition, tight integration of cloud and edge computing are crucial. That's the reason why we are focusing on AWS IoT and green grass capabilities. 
Biku shadow by AWS IoT will allow both edge in Biku and cloud, cloud work in independently and offline. By Greengrass, we can extend AWS cloud technologies into in vehicle devices for real-time processing. Also, Greengrass supports a Lambda program. We can make a test one our device software in the cloud first and then deploy it to the vehicle devices. We already completed first prototyping of AWS IoT and Greengrass and confirmed that AWS IoT and Greengrass fit to build our mobility as a services. We will continuously pay attention on enhancement of AWS cloud and edge computing technology, like ML inference just announced by DAC. Thank you very much. So mobility, yet another big problem that you can solve with IoT. Um, and Greengrass runs apparently in cars. Um, you can run it on big trucks in the mine. It can run on gateways. Um, so devices which are expensive enough that then can afford something which we call a CPU. So we can run real and operating system. But the vast majority of devices out there is actually not running on a CPU. The vast majority of devices is running on something what we call a microcontroller. And microcontrollers are in almost all of the devices that you have around. In every LED lamp, there's a microcontroller. In your smoke detectors, there's a microcontroller. There's a microcontroller controlling the conveyor belt in every factory. And the advantage of microcontrollers is that they are very cheap. They are much more affordable than a CPU. But in order to do so, they have much less compute power and also much less memory. And to give you a scale about how big the difference between microcontrollers in the world and CPUs is, I mean, Gartner just made an analysis for 2016 that there were 20 billion microcontrollers sold in 2016 alone compared to half a billion microcontroll, uh, compared to half a billion CPUs, which typically goes into computers or in smart devices. So that's a ratio of 40 to 1 just in one year. So there are literally hundreds of billions of microcontrollers out in the world. So and if you would like to connect them, because there are in all of the devices, and we talked about the future of IoT means that you can know the state of everything, how do you do that? And if you are an embedded software developer, the first question you need to ask yourself is, what software do I use? Because if you have a few kilobytes of RAM, there's no way that you can install Linux or embedded Linux on this device, let alone Android or Windows. They need megabytes, if not gigabytes, of RAM. So find yourself the right code. Then you need to figure out, does the code actually run on my chip? Because there's a vast variety of microcontrollers out, all for specialized use. And again, you want to connect it, and you need to figure out, OK, do I have a connectivity stack? Can I, can I access Wi-Fi? Can I access the cloud? Is it secure? And if I don't know any of this, OK, where can I get this information? Can I get some open source code? And where do I get started? And looking at that problem can be a pretty big inhibitor for IoT. We were trying to figure out how could we make this as easy as possible for our customers who use those microcontrollers, like in all of the many sensors that you put in your machine. And we are very proud to announce today the availability of Amazon Free Artos an operating system optimized for microcontrollers and IoT connectivity. 
So you can get it at the Amazon Free Autos console at Amazon, um, aws.amazon.com. You can download it prepackaged for chipset from the big four microcontroller companies in the world, including Microchip, NXP, SDMicro, and TI. It also comes with sample code. How can you then subscribe to a topic, send messages to the cloud, get messages back, and act on this? And most importantly, it comes with enhanced functionality. So Amazon FreeRTOS is built on the FreeRTOS kernel. And we at AWS are actually extremely honored that Richard Berry, the inventor and father, if you like, from FreeRTOS, who created FreeRTOS 15 years ago, decided to join AWS, AWS IoT, to work with us on Amazon FreeRTOS and extending the kernel with fundamental functionality like local networking. Now, the new Amazon FreeRTOS comes with a kernel, which is called the version 10, but includes libraries for local connectivity, for example, in a Wi-Fi network. So that means you can have your, your microcontrollers connected on a local network, and you can connect it to a gateway, like a green grass-enabled gateway, so that in a factory, your conveyor belts are working even if there is no connectivity to the cloud. The second most important thing for us was, of course, to include cloud connectivity. So it includes all the libraries you need that you can connect your microcontroller to AWS and AWS IoT, that you can upload all of the data that you sense and use it for further anal analytics, like, for example, with AWS IoT Analytics. And maybe the most work that we put in, in, into Amazon FreeRTOS was additional security libraries, because now we also include security libraries for certificate handling, for handling of all of the resources that are hardware provided, like TPM models or TPS offloading, and also the encryption capabilities that is needed to securely connect your microcontroller to the cloud on the local network. And we also put an over-the-air update engine into it because we are working on what we call a streaming service for over-the-air updates from microcontrollers with integrated code signing, which is coming very soon as well. So Amazon FreeRTOS is available today. You can learn more and get started immediately under awsamazon.com slash FreeRTOS. And of course, the most important thing about Amazon FreeRTOS, I guess it's like the name already suggests, it's free and it's open source, and it's open source under the MIT license. And what is also very important is that since Amazon FreeRTOS is based on FreeRTOS, it has already an existing vibrant ecosystem based on FreeRTOS. For example, there is a company, IAR, which offers an IAR embedded workbench which is working for Amazon FreeRTOS for professional embedded developers. Or Persepio, which has a tracing tool where you can have real uh, runtime behavior visualization. Or the German company Wittenstein, which has a product called SafeRTOS, which is a safety certified version using FreeRTOS kernel so that you can use it in medical application, aeronautics, or automotive. And last but not least, the entire ecosystem of chipset manufacturers, starting with ARM, which is in billions of designs of chipsets, and of course the aforementioned four big four, NXP, STMicro, Microchip, and TI. And it's my pleasure to welcome Matthias Lange from TI on stage, who will tell you what they do on their chipsets to make sure that our customers can connect their microcontrollers. Thank you very Matthias. much, Dirk. Thank you. <clears throat> Hi. Again, thank you, Dirk. Uh, 
my name is Matthias Lange. I'm uh, leading TI's Embedded Connectivity Solutions Group. And uh, Texas Instrument is one of the leading semiconductor manufacturers. So as opposed to Kimo, who's doing the biggest things on the planet, we're doing the smallest things, building basically uh, Lego with atoms. We have more than 100,000 different kind of parts. We have microcontrollers, microprocessors, analog signal chain, power management, and so on. But we cannot do everything. Even with that, it's not a complete solution. So therefore, we're so excited about these kind of collaborations as we can have with Amazon and getting access, uh, helping you to get access to all of their uh, cloud services down into the embedded things. And this is what I'm going to talk about here. Um, Dirk talked about some of the challenges of building the end node, okay, the smallest part out in the system, the, 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 the things. Actually, uh, it's even worse than that, because if you want to get full use of the promise of IoT, you don't only want to have things in an embedded microcontroller, you probably want to connect them wirelessly. For instance, with Wi-Fi. This guy here is a, a, a Wi-Fi device, and TI, we have pioneered what we call the wireless microcontrollers. So a wireless microcontroller is a chip that is one part is a microcontroller, 100% available for you. All of its MIPS and memories and everything, you can use that to build your application. The other part of the chip is a radio. In this case, it's a Wi-Fi radio running TCP IP stack, TLS, security, everything. And so you don't have to be an RF expert. You don't have to be experts in the Wi-Fi protocol. All of that is taken care of you for you inside of this wireless microcontroller. But, um, and I, this kind of devices, if you notice, right, you have many more kind of Wi-Fi connected devices out there. You got video doorbells, you got thermostats, smoke alarms, all these kinds of things. And it's thanks to these kind of devices that makes it easier to do that. But I think we can do much more to drive these kind of features deeper into things like factory automation and so on. We noticed that a lot of customers struggled from the embedded side to do the cloud connection. So again, this is why we're so excited that together we provide this great complete solution where you get a solid connection from your endpoint, the thing, all the way to all of these excellent services that Dirk was talking about, big data, AI, lifecycle management, and so on. So this really provides you a complete platform on which you can build. Now, uh, as you also mentioned, the world is not uh, only nice. So it's not enough just for you to build a, a, uh, a great product. Actually, there's a lot of threats out there. So you can build a great and a differentiated product, but it also needs to be secure. When you're thinking about security, you need to think end-to-end -end security. Security, as we know, is only as strong as its weakest link. And you need to have security from the cloud all the way down to this endpoint. And a device like our SimpleLink Wi-Fi microcontroller has more than 25 different security features in hardware and software that you, will help you to build these end-to-end -end, uh, level security features. For instance, when we talk about over-the-air updates, we have something in this device that will enable you to do hardware-based root of trust authentication for the over-the-air updates. We have things that is a hardware device, hardware unique device ID, so that you know that you're talking to this specific device. So with that, we can actually give you all of the building blocks to build a system that provides end-to-end -end, uh, level security. 
This makes you, this kind of platform, it, it enables you to focus on your differentiation. We heard Trimble talk about these things, how they want to focus on what's important for them. With the foundations that Amazon is providing, with the complete solutions from TI, we enable you to just think about your application and how you can build a differentiated application on top of that. And that's very important. Now, I talked about Wi-Fi devices, but what if I'm not satisfied with connecting through Wi-Fi? I want to do something else. I want to have a battery-operated device that runs 10 years as a sensor on a coin cell. Actually, this is part of our platform. We, uh, uh, all of these devices from TI belong to something called Simplelink MCU platform, where we have components doing Wi-Fi, Bluetooth low energy, sub one gigahertz, and ethernet. Uh, and all of these are using the same SDK. So basically, it gives you unprecedented levels of scalability. You have a hardware platform with everything available today, more than 800 devices available today uh, uh, on, under this umbrella. And together with the Amazon uh, uh, cloud solutions, it gives you a platform that I believe is really going to take us to the next level of the industrial revolution and deliver to the promise of this IoT. And what we're wondering now, and what we're really excited to see, as Dirk said in the beginning here, what are you going to do with this? Thank you. Thank you, Matthias. Thank you. Security, security, security. And now, I don't believe I have to introduce my next two guests for those of you who have already been at reInvent before. Please welcome Tom Soderstrom and Mick Cox from JPL. Well, it's great to be back again. Uh, last year, we talked about uh, distributing computing to the edge. This time, we're going to be extreme. So since we're going to take a journey together, uh, and it's going to be a risky journey, at least for us, I'm going to ask for your help. You're going to take a journey. What do you do? You put it in Wi-Fi mode, right? In airplane mode. So take out, raise your hand, take out your phones, and put them in airplane mode. And maybe our demo will work. So let's talk about space. We live in, the sp in space. That truly is the edge. Space is cold, even colder than here today. Uh, it is lonely, it's remote, and it's diverse. So JPL leads uh, NASA's uh, robotic space exploration uh, to the solar system and beyond. But even so, when we get to these distant places, we don't really know what we're going to find. So we have to build in uh, artificial intelligence. We have to build in diversity and we have to live on the edge. So we're going to show you a demonstration, a very rapidly developed uh, living, living on the edge uh, prototype of what we call a distributed brain and a distributed body. That's really what living on the edge gives us, edge computing. It's through the ingenuity of JPL engineers and JPIT professional and the, the technology that this new uh, free RTOS is giving us. So we're going to show you, uh, hopefully, uh, diverse robotic swarm. And uh, the good news for you, since you all turned off your Wi-Fi, you'll be able to uh, play with this at home and in schools. And Mick Cox is going to lead us through a diverse robotic swarm executing a single NASA mission, Find Life. That's all. 
All right, so as Tom mentioned, my name is Mick Cox. You might have recognized me from last year, but more likely you're going to recognize the cute robot that I had on stage with me. Uh, this was Rovi, JPL's outreach rover. Last year I was talking about how we used Amazon Lex to give Rovi a voice, and you could ask questions to Lex and have it respond to you with its voice. We also talked about how we used AWS Greengrass to bring the power of AWS IoT and Lambda onto the edge on smaller devices. Um, ever since Rovi came out a couple of years ago, we've had people ask us for plans for how to build Rovi because they wanted to build their own. Uh, we didn't think it was possible, so what we did instead was we got two interns over this last summer, Eric Junkins and Olivia LaFaro, to come together uh, and build a brand new version of the rover uh, with the, the target of building it completely out of commercially available off-the-shelf parts, everything that you could order online and build in your garage. So with that, we're going to introduce JPL's open source rover. So this is our rover. As I mentioned, um, we've got everything on here is, is consumer off-the-shelf parts, um, things you could buy from Amazon or other retailers, uh, have mailed to your house, uh, put it together in your garage with rudimentary tools, all for about $2,500. Um, this program will be ramping up over the next couple of months. If you're interested in participating in this, come see us at the JPL booth at the Builders Fair upstairs later today and tomorrow. But today, the rover's going to be helping us doing something a little bit different. It's going to be trying to find a Martian on this very stage. Now, we didn't think it could do it alone, uh, so it brought a couple of friends with it. These are going to be smaller robots, which we'll see in a second. One of them is a wall climber. The other two are what we call puffers. And I'll introduce what each of those do as we get a little bit deeper in. But for right now, let's have the rover introduce itself. I am JPL's open source rover. Today, I will be trying to find life on this stage just like JPL does every day on Mars. So it's seeing the wall now. What you're seeing on the left side of the screen is a live video feed from the open source rover. And then below it, you're actually seeing the telemetry off of that. It's just the wheel speeds. So it's looking at the wall. That wall looks like it might be too high for me to get over. Deploying the wall climber. So it doesn't think that it can make it over the wall. So luckily, this is where we're going to meet our first friend, the wall climber. Now, as we've been talking about, the wall climber is extremely small. You'll see in a second after we deploy it. It's extremely small, it's extremely lightweight. When we send things to Mars and other planets, other moons, um, it needs to be constrained in both mass and in size. So the only compute power on this wall climber um, is a microcontroller. So we'll go to the next and we'll see a video feed as well from the climber, uh, which is you're seeing some latency, but also below you're seeing the telemetry streaming in real time. So these are, thank you. So the wheel speeds here and then the pitch, zero being flat and then up the wall being there. So you saw that update in real time. I'm guessing in a, in a few moments when maybe the Wi-Fi clears up, uh, we'll see the update from above. Uh, but it's climbing up to the top. We'll see what it saw once it got up there. The climber has detected some areas behind the wall that may contain life. Deploying puffers to investigate. So we'll see in a minute the video feed update, but for now we've identified two rock outcroppings behind this wall that we need to go investigate because they might contain a Martian. Now the rover itself can't get underneath the wall, but that's where the two other puffer devices come in. Now these are other devices that uh, we've been developing at JPL over the last few years, not at all related to this project, but because Amazon Free RTOS was easily drag and drop with a board that we happened to already have on the puffers, it was very simple for us to get it involved and put into the system. So as these puffers come out, again, you're seeing there uh, somewhat delayed, maybe it'll update eventually, stream from the puffers themselves, uh, as well as the telemetry coming off in real time. 
It's worth mentioning here that the video streams are not actually done through FreeRTOS. That's done a different way. Uh, but the telemetry is what's done through Greengrass and FreeRTOS. Now, the system that we have set up here is simple enough uh, from the Greengrass sense. There's a Greengrass core running on the open source rover itself. And then each of the other small microcontrollers running Amazon FreeRTOS are just like a drag and drop Greengrass aware device, the same as you've been building for years. So now the first puffer is behind the rocks. Uh, we'll see what it saw. Puffer number one reached its target and has found no signs of Martian life. So it didn't find any life. What's puffer two up to? Puffer number two has gotten stuck. We're rooting puffer number one to investigate the second target. So puffer number one, or puffer number two, sorry, couldn't get to the target that it's supposed to be getting to. If we can go over to the other shot in the handheld, thank you. Um, we couldn't get puffer two to where it was supposed to go. So since it's communicating that data back to the core, uh, we know that we can actually, we're going to have to reroute that other puffer to take care of it. Um, and so we'll see that update now and see what puffer two found. Puffer has discovered something interesting. Analyzing image. Martian detected. And it found a Martian. How about that? So in recap, what we've seen today, um, you saw a diverse robotic swarm of differently capable robots that are small enough that they've never had the ability to talk together before. Now that they can communicate, uh, we, can, we can extend our scientific capability and our exploration capability beyond into places that we've never been able to explore before. Thank you very much. Can you put it back? It's back, yeah. It's back? Yeah. So, again, pushing technology to the edge. That's the edge of the edge of the edge, I guess. Like always, awesome demo. So we started out in saying is our mission is to make sure that our customers know the states of everything, of all of their assets, and being able to reason on top of the data. So to sum this up, what did we do and help our customers with? Starting at the edge, Amazon FreeRTOS, an operating system for microcontrollers that make them connect securely on a local network and with the cloud. Amazon Greengrass, running on more powerful devices, being an um, software package that lets you run local execution of Ramda, local messaging, state sync in a secure way. In the cloud, we started with the AWS IoT core so that you can connect your devices, that you can route the messages, and that you can control them. AWS IoT device management to keep your and keep your fleets um, in a healthy level. AWS IoT Device Defender to keep your fleet secure. And last but not least, AWS IoT Analytics so that you easily and fast analyze the data coming from your devices. All of that integrates pretty neatly with the rest of AWS services so that you can build your applications on top for your enterprise usage. And last but not least, don't forget our partner system. And we just have seen uh, TI as one of the partners, and I've mentioned others beforehand, because all of our partners give additional value, their knowledge, their expertise for the different verticals so that our joint customers can build their solutions faster. And then you look at this, then you'd say to yourself, but wait a minute, what if I only have a very small little problem to solve? Couldn't I do this even simpler and faster? So can we make IoT even simpler and faster? And the idea is, is there a way, if I wanted just to order something with a click of a button, or if I had in my factory on every machine a tiny little 
I mean, trigger device, whenever something goes wrong, the, the, the person on the machine floor could just click it and somebody from the maintenance crew comes up. So the idea was, is there a way to enable IoT with one click? If you just have a device that works, where you associate a lambda function, which just whatever action you want, and off you go. So here comes AWS IoT, one click, a service which just exactly does this. Beginning, how do we acquire my device? So all AWS IoT one-click enabled devices come completely pre-provisions. You don't have to do anything. And we are very happy to announce that one of the first third-party devices, which goes alongside with the AWS IoT button, is a wireless button coming from AT&T, which you then can order as well, which is zero provisioning. Then it comes with an application on iOS or Android. You just register your device, pick a Lambda function, for example, sending you an SMS, do anything you else want with your own Lambda functions, and that's it. It just works. It's that simple. And you also get automatic um, dashboarding about some of the basics, understanding how many of your clicks have been there and how many have been executed. Again, if you would like to learn more, come to aws.amazon.com slash IoT dash one dash one click. And if you want to learn more about any of the services which I just shared with you today. There are many more in-depth sessions um, this afternoon and tomorrow morning. I would, and tomorrow afternoon, even going on Friday, where you can go into the 200 level and 300 level. We also have some chalk talks with Richard Berry, where you can see the inventor of FreeRTOS going through and explaining you how Embedded really works. And I would also like to advertise today at 5.30, having both James Gosling and Richard Berry on stage talking about what the edge really means together with the cloud. With that, the only thing which is left for me is to thank all of the speakers who were participating and, of course, the no uh, open source robot that you can buy. And I also would like to thank you, the audience, for your patience and your attention. Thank you very much.